I woke up this morning and I'm just going to my Instagram page. I had 61,000 followers this morning. And like, I don't know the exact number because it was just the number that was on my profile. As of right now, I have (laughs) 60.8. And that is because this morning, aka 10 hours ago, I posted the the um, like the image of the Sex Perry's and CrossFit podcast with my boudoir <laughs> photo. So the photo where I'm like naked wearing leather fucking straps and shit. Uh, and yeah, I've had like 200 people unfollow me, which happens every time. And like Greg is always like, oh, you know, sometimes Instagram does this big like get rid of all the bots and like get rid of all those fake spam accounts. And, and you know, you'll just see your follower like followers drop. And I'm like fucking bullshit. <laughs> People that are not okay talking about sex or seeing raunchy stuff are like, oh God, no, unfollow, unfollow immediately. But I love it. I love that people unfollow me. Um, one, because I know that the people that follow me and, and fucking are here for it, are here for it. You know, like that, that's, this is what you're interested in. This, this resonates with you. This makes sense. You're interested in learning, even if it's not your jam, you know, like even if it's not totally your thing, you don't understand what the fuck I'm talking about sometimes. You're like, hey, you know what? I, I'm open. I'll, I'll, I'll hear about it. And then the other thing is, is that I also love it when people unfollow me and they don't say anything, like they don't announce their departure and they're like, I just wanted to let you know, I, I don't normally message people, but I've decided that I'm going to unfollow you because of this. And I'm like, fucking, okay, cool, man. <laughs> so I like it when people just unfollow me. They just decide they're like, you know what? I don't want, I don't want to see this. I'm just going to unfollow and just move on with my life. Like <laughs> I am all for that. So <laughs> I'm down 200 followers and it happens every time I post anything about sex, sex toys, periods, not as much. I tend to gain followers with periods. Um, periods seem to be a pretty fun, like trending topic apparently. Um, and then what else do I post? Obviously naked photos of myself now. My, t- my nipples were blocked out. Okay. Anyway. Okay. So I'm going to try and talk about sex first. Then we're going to go into periods. Then we'll go into more training stuff. So um, I'm going to go through the questions just in like order of how I've got them. Um, and the very first one, I'm, I'm getting a lot of questions about threesomes at the moment. The very first question is, how do you go about having threesomes, etc., if you're not 100% down, but your partner is? So first of all, you don't have to be 100% down to like test it and dip your toe in the water and try it out and like experiment and play with it because you don't know if you're into it until you fucking tried it. You know, it's like you don't know what you don't know. Also, secondly, when you invite someone to play, you don't sign up for everything. Like there are boundaries and there are things that you're going to continually get consent for that will kind of change the direction that you're going in. So when you have someone come in and like you're hooking up with them, it's not like you press fucking play and then like you just have to do whatever happens. You're in full control and you can change and shift and you communicate as you're you're experimenting or playing or whatever you're doing and you can adjust according to how you're feeling at the time. So I just would recommend that if you're not feeling 100% down but you decide to go ahead with it or experiment or have a threesome and bring someone in that you make sure that you talk to your partner like hey what are your hard boundaries like what are the what are the hard no's like what's the um what's the absolute definitely not going to do that what's the I'm not sure but I'd, I'd be intrigued by it and what's the green light stuff so there's a really cool um it's a it's comes from like the BDSM community where you do uh what is it called it's like a um 
I'll have to go and find it. It's like this checklist that you go through and it lists off like all the kinks you could ever fucking imagine from like, hey, do you like leather cuffs? Do you like fucking spreader bars? Do you like being urinated on? Like, do you, are you into golden showers? Do you like, uh, do you like butt stuff? Do you like fingers in your pussy? Do you like, <laughs> like everything? Okay. It will list off like things you, you could never even imagine exist in the world. You'll find it on this list. And what happens is you go through the list and you say, yes, I'm into it. No, I'm not into it. Or I'm not sure what this is. I'd be interesting to try. Or I, this kind of scares me, but I'm intrigued. So you have these different categories where you can respond to different kinks. And this is how you would let, for example, in a dom-sub relationship, this is how you would let your dom know what you're okay with and what you're not okay with. Um, so that's the kind of thing that you could potentially, I guess, apply in the case of a threesome. It's like, hey, have the conversation with like, are you okay with eating another girl out? Yes, no, maybe, unsure. Um, are you okay with kissing another girl or to your partner, a guy? Are you okay with kissing another guy? Like, what are you into in terms of like playing with this third person that you're potentially going to bring in? Um, and, and get some like guidelines on exactly what your boundaries are and then what you feel like maybe is your um, meet in the middle feel like, area where it's like, hey, like maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Let's just assess it when we get there and just make sure that you're both aware of what's okay. Some of that stuff you won't necessarily know ahead of time. So there'll have to be a little bit of a, as you're going, you need to make sure that you're reading each other's body language. And, and that means that it's not always going to be explicit what you do want to do and what you don't want to do. Sometimes like, I guess consent to a degree is not always necessarily like verbal consent. It's like, hey, it's body language, it's movement, it's it's just mood in general, it's, it's responding to things, it's making noises or not making noises, it's just reading the other person and being in tune with them. Um, and I think that's really important to understand. So like a conversation that you can have along with, hey, here's a list of things that we could or could not do, what are you into, what are you not into? You could also say, hey, how do you communicate in the bedroom? Like if you're with us and there's another person, like if you go quiet, does that mean you're not into it? Or does that mean that it's really intense? Do you need a break at that point? Should we go and get water at that point? Or uh, like anything that you can do. Any Like if you if you suddenly stop touching anyone, like if you suddenly like feel like you just like you close off physically and the, and the body language is like, I just kind of keep to myself. What does that mean? Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Like how do you respond and how do you communicate physically? That conversation can set you up for more success. Um, so yeah, I, I think like the thing is, is make sure that it is something that you want to do, or at least you're intrigued and maybe want to dip your toe in the water. And then secondly, make sure you understand like, Hey, how are you going to communicate when you're going through this experience? Um, and make sure your partner's on the same page. The other thing that I will say is if you're not hundred percent down and your partner is fully into it, then do something that's not all the way, like go and just flick your Tinder to girls and just talk to girls. Or if your partner is talking to a girl and is like, hey, like my partner is keen to bring in a third, would you be interested? And this potential third is interested, then ask to be connected by your partner and start talking to her and be like, hey, like what's your experience? Have you done this before? I have, I haven't, I, I'm interested in this, I'm interested in that. Like the first time that I had a threesome was great because the other girl, it was her first time as well. So we just ended up bonding over this shared first 
experience. And it was like, this is actually really nice. Like we can both be nervous and have no fucking idea together and just be figuring out it out as we go. And what could have happened is we might have connected and talked about it and then nothing might have happened and that would have been fine. Because I think it's just about taking those steps to feel like, hey, I just want to just want to feel it out. Just let me try it on for a second. And if I'm not into it, then I'm not into it. But I think you can give yourself an opportunity to just, hey, like talk to someone and, and see what it is that scares you. Maybe maybe say it out loud to them. It's probably the same thing that scares them. Remember that they're also human. Um, and that can just kind of help you overcome that. The other thing is that instead of just talking to girls or flicking your Tinder to girls, you could also go out for a coffee with a girl. And I think that's a nice way, especially if you're like potentially going to play with a third, to just meet them ahead of time. Um, and, and again, you're not committing to doing anything except for getting coffee. So that can be a nice way to just like literally get your head around it and just get, get adjusted to the idea of like, Hey, this might could potentially happen. Am I into it? Is it a turn on for me? What do I find hot about it? What do I not find hot about it? Or maybe what fears or insecurities does it bring out and just start working through some of that stuff and do it with your partner. So that is, uh, my first piece of advice that was like five pieces of advice but that was my first question okay so I had another question about threesomes and it was an interesting question um so it was it was a question that said how do you find a third that won't that's like cool and won't ruin your relationship um so let me just find the exact words Oh, this is so annoying. I had like everything in order and now uh, people have added more questions and I'm like, oh no, here we go. How to find the right couple or person to add to play slash sex dot, 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 and not ruin relationships. Okay. Um, the first thing that came to mind when I read this was like, if a, if a third person can ruin your relationship, then like, <laughs> tell me more about the relationship. Like if it's that fragile, then maybe like bringing someone in is not a good idea. If you feel that insecure about the relationship or that fearful, or it's like it exists in a way where someone could come in and like fucking ruin it, like quote unquote ruin it. Then to me, I'm like, Hey, maybe, maybe there's some stuff to address there in terms of the relationship. And even if there isn't anything to address, if that's the fear that you have, you absolutely need to talk to your partner about that. You 100% need to be like, Hey, like I would like to do this or like this is interesting to me but my fear is this um, and maybe it's not actually the case maybe you're just theoretically asking like how do you do this and, and not ruin the relationship here's the other thing finding a third person to join you and your partner is not easy <laughs> I can tell you right now that a person that's willing to come into a partner or like a couple situation and be the third like typically is not looking for a relationship with those people. Some cases, yes, but it's pretty rare. They're usually the type of people that are looking for some kind of like sexual exploration, a little adventure, like just some fun, something, you know, something exciting with new people trying to connect and it's going to be a great experience, hopefully for everybody. But like I, I'm yet to see someone come in and like steal the guy or steal the girl. <laughs> Um, I just haven't seen someone that's been the cause of the relationship to be ruined, quote unquote ruined. So I think maybe like 
in terms of like, how do I find the right couple or person? I don't think it's about finding the right person that wouldn't ruin the relationship. I think it's about making sure that your relationship is set up to be able to handle these kinds of experiences. Um, I think thinking that a person or a couple that you play with would ruin the relationship is a little, um, perhaps, uh, I want to say like misguided, but that's not the word I'm looking for. I, I, it's just that if you think it's the outside thing that's going to crack you, it's not. It, it's the fact that you're crackable and there's some stuff going on internally that needs to be addressed, whatever that may be. Even if it is purely the fear that someone else could ruin the relationship, is it because your partner doesn't pay you enough attention and you're scared that when they pay someone else attention that that means they are interested in them and that they want to pursue them? Um, are you afraid of being abandoned? Do you have like issues around abandonment or fear of being left alone? Um, what happened in previous relationships? Have you been cheated on? Like oftentimes it will relate back to an insecurity. So that's the kind of thing that I would be potentially thinking about. It's not the person or the couple, it's it's where you're coming from and, and, and what perspective you have on that being able to fuck, potentially fuck up your relationship. Um, okay, so here's what I will say. When you are talking to other people to potentially play with you, there are definitely red flags. Um, and I, I can't say that I have personally got defined red flags for like, oh, I really look out for that thing and I really look out for this thing. Like I tend to meet people that would potentially join me and Greg in the same way that I look for people that I would want to date or hang out with. Like I look for the same qualities in friends and partners and like just people that I want to hang out with. And there's a really cool part in the book, The Ethical Slut, which is a great book. Like if this, if this stuff that I'm talking about interests you, go and read The Ethical Slut. But she talks about how do you pick a partner to have sex with? Like, how do you pick someone to be intimate with? And she doesn't really give you any rules as such, but she does say, hey, pick someone that you would want to see again. Like, if you can keep it as simple as that, don't conflate sex with love. Don't conflate sex with like trust. Like, don't, you know, it doesn't have to be about that. It's just like, if it's someone that you're interested in seeing again, it's someone that you connect with and you'd, you'd want to actually just hang out with them, then that's a that's the perfect person to get intimate with. And I think it's the same thing with regards to finding someone. But here's what I will say. Um, if you're in a relationship with someone who says things like, oh, you just like, you're with someone else. Like, so this is actually the case of Greg having someone that he was talking to that um, wasn't potentially going to join us. He was just going to hook up with her separately. And she was like, I think it was something along the lines of he'd said, yeah, no, like I love my partner and like we have an amazing sex life or we have whatever, the relationship is amazing. And she says something along the lines of, oh, well, you haven't met me yet. Or maybe it was like, a, he's like, no, I can't imagine I would ever leave my partner for someone. And same thing. She was like, oh, well, wait till you meet me. Like, I'll see, like, I'll see what I can do about that. Something like that. And that was like an immediate red flag. And Greg was like, yeah, no, not interested. And stop talking to her. Um, so there are definitely potentially like, I would, I would imagine women, but potentially men as well would play the game of like, I would like to like fuck around and see if I can make you want me when you already have somebody else. Um, so maybe people would take that to an extreme where they would actually try to um, move in on the relationship and lock someone who's non-monogamous down into a monogamous relationship or, or take someone from an open relationship and try and, and try and get them to leave their partner. Um, that would be one thing that I potentially look out for. Um, but 
the hard thing about that is what is often attractive to people coming in and being the third or meeting people that are in open relationships, whether they're playing with a couple or playing with one partner solo. Sometimes that's part of the fun. It's like you can play on the fact that they do find you attractive and they also have a partner. So you just have to be able to read people's language. The other red flag is if someone does not want to talk about your partner. So like if someone doesn't want to talk about the relationship, even if someone doesn't want to talk about things like boundaries, if somebody just like cuts off communication about a certain thing, I would be treating that as a bit of a red flag. One, because if they can't talk to you about your partner, then there might be some stuff going on in the surface that you're not aware of. And two, if they don't know how to talk about boundaries, then that's going to make communicating through the whole thing really difficult. So with regards to finding someone, like I said before, find someone that you feel like you can trust, someone who has similar values to you, someone who you would want to hang out with again. I think it can be as simple as that. Um, so yeah, that is how I would answer that question. Okay. Have I been to a swingers party? I've been to two... <laughs> virtual sex parties they're not like swingers parties swingers party feels like old to me I've never been to a sex event that was called a swingers party but I have been to an online sex party <laughs> um two of them they were both in New York and it was basically like a whole lot of people doing what I'm doing <laughs> but on zoom and you had all like the screens and you could see the host and then you could see performers and so there was like a series of performers that would come through um one of them was like a stripper. I've, I've seen one that was like, it was a, it was like a den, like a sex den. And they had a, a cross up and they had this girl chained up and they were doing all this like crazy, amazing stuff with like all these hectic sex toys. Um, and then essentially like the night eventually turns into like games that are like, it, it's kind of like, sometimes it's a little bit, and I know that it's maybe more R-rated, but it kind of reminds me of like, if you have a party when you're in a kid and you play like spin the bottle, it's got those kinds of vibes, <laughs> except that people will play. So one of the games that they always play with this particular sex party um, is truth or dare. So they'll always be sex related questions or sex related dares. So that always slowly progresses to like people just like hooking up in front of their camera at home and then other people can watch. And then I've been to one real sex party not real, one in-person sex party before all the lockdowns happened. Um, and there were more scheduled and more that I was meant to go to, but just with lockdowns, they didn't happen. So maybe again in the future, because they're really fun. They're really cool. And there's quite a few communities in Melbourne as well, um, specifically some communities that are younger. And I think I actually got a question about that. So I might get to that later. Okay. Um, somebody asked, is it possible for all females to squirt? That's a great question. I believe physiologically it actually is because we all have the gland that produces the, the liquid that comes out of your urethra. So technically I believe you could, but whether or not that can actually happen, it kind of depends on the woman. Um, but I think if you've got the right technique, I kind of reckon everyone could. Like I'm, I've definitely witnessed multiple women that, have never do it for the first time. Um, so it's like, if you got the right person with the right technique, then mm, I reckon your, your chances are pretty good. <laughs> okay. This was a really interesting one. How to build more intimacy with my wife who has a low sex drive, but doesn't admit it. Part two, 
just says, I'm a man and she's a woman and men are just built that way and she isn't. There are so many layers to this. Um, Okay, first of all, I think sex drive in this instance is being talked about in, in the way of, hey, this is just, this is something I can't control. This is just like hunger. It just hits me. I can't really do anything about it. I have no real control over it. It's like whether I feel cold in a room and when I'm with someone else, they feel hot in a room. It's like, this is just, this is just the way I am. There's nothing I can do about it. I like to think of sex drive as something that is 100% in your control. And, and, you know, let's say things like stress and work and time pressure is going to impact your sex drive 100%. So while I believe it's in your control, I also understand that there's a lot of external events or the context of your life is going to impact your sex drive. I think it's really important to know that you can cultivate a high sex drive or maybe not necessarily like a quote unquote high sex drive, but a higher sex drive. Um, So what that can mean is, hey, like for me, I love to buy new lingerie. I love, love, love buying new lingerie. It could be reading or listening to erotic stories. It could be watching porn. It could be talking about something hot that happened with your partner and whether that's watching like you watched porn and you telling your partner what the story was that happened or what you thought was really attractive or um like sexting with someone like whatever it is flirting with someone on the the internet like anything that can get you into a place where you feel sexy and something that I listened to a long time ago from this woman who was a uh, I think she was a relationship coach of some kind she talked about how men and women experience desire in a really different way or, or become aroused in a different way. And men feel aroused when they are attracted to someone. So like a man would see a beautiful human of whatever sex and be like, holy shit, like I'm aroused by that person. Whereas a woman will typically feel aroused when she feels attractive. Okay. So a man, it's like, you can identify something that you're attracted to and like that will turn you on. For a woman, you don't see a hot person and you're like, I'm so fucking turned on. It's like when somebody's really attracted to you or doing nice things to you because they're, they find you attractive or desirable. That's what turns you on. So that's a really nice way to understand it. So if you've got someone here who's like, uh, I want to get more intimate with my wife, but she won't admit that she's got a low sex drive. I'm like, okay, I just don't know if that's the best approach. So I would perhaps begin by setting the mood and setting the mood isn't just the hour before you want to bone being like, hey baby, I washed the sheets and made the bed and uh, I lit some candles do you want to come on in and we can do this? Foreplay begins from the last time you had sex. And for someone who like is a partner, it can often be that you need to do things that aren't perhaps what your sex language is and really is their sex language. So um, like for, <laughs> if you ask a woman what something that's really hot that men do, that's just like a really big turn on, it will nine times out of 10 not be a sexual thing. So it's like, you're not gonna say, oh, like when he undresses, that really turns me on. Most women probably won't say that, but when he's helping out in the house, like when he vacuums, when he's wiping down the kitchen bench, like 
That stuff, you're like, oh, God damn, that's so sexy when he does that. When he's playing with friends' kids or your kids and like any any man playing with kids and being like a nice human to little children, I don't know what it is, but it's fucking hot. <laughs> so sometimes the things that turn women on are not potentially like the classic like sex stuff or like things that perhaps would turn you on. So I was having a conversation on the Savant podcast about love languages. And I think there's the same thing with regards to like sex languages or maybe arousal languages or desire languages. Fucking I'll come up with a name later. But I think that the things that turn a woman on are just totally different to the things that turn men on. Um, So I think in terms of like when she says men are just built that way and women aren't or like you're a man, I'm a woman. Like I'm not going to say that she's right because I think she probably has a little bit of like a a narrative or a story or even an excuse because she's not not into whatever you're like putting out you know like she's she's not interested in picking it up whatever you're putting down like it ain't doing it for her I will say that there's probably two different languages being spoken here and what you're trying to say and what you're trying to communicate in terms of trying to get some is not the way that she wants to have that fucking put on her so you may need to understand what her language is um and what it could be is if you want to get more intimate with someone tell them that you want to be more intimate with someone and know that intimacy may not just be sex and I think it's really important especially for men to figure out other ways to connect with their partners like I think after having a couple of conversations with MDM um like one of the reasons that I see men being quite attached to like sexual um, sexual behaviors or just being attached to like their sexual identity is that it's one of the few ways that they connect with people to that on that physical kind of level. And also being intimate with someone just in terms of opening up and being vulnerable and being able to talk and connect with people. For women, we become intimate with our friends because we talk about everything. We can fucking get naked in front of our friends and it doesn't matter. We can go out and do things together. Like the relationships exist in different ways to the relationships of men. So women will have quite intimate relationships with other women as well as intimate relationships with their partner and intimate in a different way. But in, in the sense that you get like that physical contact, you get that um, emotional contact, you get all of those things from friends as well as from partners. So in terms of like emotional connection and intimacy, our cups are pretty full, or at least we have a lot of options to fill them up. Like women catch up by like going out and just sitting, having coffee and talking about their lives. Like, you know, you just fucking talk shit about everything going on in your life and you connect and you share those stories. And that's how, like, that's how we hang out. Whereas men, it's like, you go and watch a game, you go and play a sport, you go and fucking like train together. Like you don't typically just sit down and talk about stuff and like, (laughs) talk about your dating life or whatever like that just doesn't really happen so I think sometimes men seek out that type of physical connection with women so badly because they want that intimacy to get that to fill up their cup in that sense so I think it's important that men figure out hey what are the other ways to be intimate so for example another way to be intimate could just be hey can we just cuddle I don't want to fuck can we just cuddle and make out for a little bit. I just would love to like be close with you and see if you can enjoy just like spooning each other for like five minutes on the couch or on the bed and just chilling out and being close physically without sex. Kissing, six second kiss every day. That's a really, really nice thing to implement into your relationship to be intimate where it's like, I think sometimes people get 
really attached to like, Hey, the only time I'm physically intimate with someone is when I'm initiating sex. And that's when I want to like, we're going to fucking go all the way or nothing. (laughs) So I think it's important to separate out all the nice things that you like about being with each other and being physically intimate, but remove the goal of fucking or penetration. And when you suddenly like stretch those things apart and you're like, Oh, I really like just making out like making out is one of the funnest things ever. And it's one of those things where it's like, we do it a lot when we're younger. And then suddenly when we're older, it's like, I don't know when we're adults, we grow out of it or some bullshit. I'm like, man, bring making out back. That is one of the funnest things you can do. And when it doesn't lead to sex, when there's no pressure for it to go anywhere, a woman can enjoy it so much more. Not only that, but it will often get her in the mood to want to be intimate. So that's the other thing, like spontaneous desire for sex doesn't typically happen for a lot of people. So if you're a guy, and this is another thing in terms of like desire and arousal language, are you someone that spontaneously just wants to fucking bone or are you someone that's like not necessarily always in the mood, but could get there? So something that you can ask is like, hey, um, uh, let's say, let's say, hey, I I fucking, I don't know. I don't know how you initiate sex in your relationship, but... (laughs) Say you decide that you're going to cuddle for five minutes on the couch or cuddle and like go and lay in bed and just like make out for a minute. You're like, hey, babe, can we just have like a little make out for like two minutes? Um, and then you guys get into bed and you start making out. And then maybe, maybe you can ask like, hey, can I do this? And you suggest an, a next activity. You go into next base, <laughs> the next base. And maybe the response can be, and if you guys discuss it, rather than like, no, I'm too tired. No, my sex drive is too low. I don't feel like it. I've got a headache. I've got whatever. Maybe what you do is have an option of yes, no, I'm not there yet, but I could get there. And that third option is let's start. And then if I'm not really feeling it, I'm going to pull the pin. So that gives someone permission to be like, yes, but it's a temporary yes. And I can pull that away when I want to. And I think that that would just allow your partner to, if they, if they really aren't in the mood and you just try and start things out, then they can be like, okay, you know what? I actually like, I actually don't really feel like, like I've really enjoyed like, uh, you know, making out for a couple of minutes, but I, I don't want to continue. I need to go and do some other stuff or I, I want to, I just want to cuddle now. That could be a really nice option to help them have another answer. That's not just yes or no. So you're going to have other options to build intimacy. You're going to figure out what their language is, what turns them on, what makes them feel desirable, what helps them feel aroused. You're going to uh, figure out a way to communicate, whether it's a, I'm in, I'm not in, I might be in, but let's just see how we go for a couple minutes and pull the pin. So just giving yourself a few ways to like, hey, let's let's just play with this and let's talk it out. Um, and just, yeah, come up with some methods or strategies to get intimate. The last thing that I'm going to say is, and I think this builds on from like, If you're looking to be intimate with your wife because you simply want to be emotionally intimate, maybe you need to actually tell her that because I think that that would probably connect with her more than you just trying to get her to like get her, get her pants off, right? Like that might feel really emotionally deep for you to connect with her in that way, but it may feel like you're just 
yeah, it, it may not connect emotionally for her in the same way if she doesn't realize that that's how it is for you. So if you're just trying to get her pants off and get her into bed, like every time that you want to be intimate and, and fill up that your cup, she, she just simply may not interpret it the way that you mean it. So what may help express your, uh, I guess your need, this is a need that you have, is to be like, hey, I really like to connect with you physically. Like I love being physical with you and list out things. Make sure that when you say I like being physical, it's not just I want the P and the V. <laughs> Make sure it's like I really like kissing you and I really like holding your hand and I love cuddling and like spooning is just the fucking best and like list out the things that you enjoy doing. Like I really love it when you kiss my neck. I really love it. Like whatever the, whatever the physical things are, list them out. And explain that when that happens, it helps you feel really connected to her, like on a, in a different way, in a way that you don't have with anybody else. It's only her. And when you have those physical moments together where you're connecting in that way, it, it's something that you can't go without. Like you, it, it is a need for you. And that when you feel like you don't get it, you feel like you don't connect with her and that you've got to find ways to do that. And, and like you said, like I said, whether it means that you have makeout sessions or six second kisses every day, or you start making sure that you have like a proper bear hug before you leave for work or when you get home from work or whatever it is, find other ways to connect so that both of you guys can meet somewhere in the middle so that your needs can be met and that her needs can also be met. Um, and that might help. If she's open to figuring out her low sex drive, which like it may not be low fucking it, it, you could have a fucking high sex drive all right buddy it might not, it might not be her it could be but i think again it's it's just people speak a different language with regards to arousal and desire so um the book come as you are is really really good and the author or oh, emily nagowski i believe might be the author um <clears throat> the the title is come as you are she's on justin lee miller's podcast sex and psychology a very recent one so within the last like two months you can find that if she wants to potentially go and do a little bit more research around spontaneous sexual response versus not spontaneous so it's like when you're just randomly in the mood versus when you are not usually just randomly fucking out of the blue like down to fuck but you can build up to that point with certain activities or whatever. So that book's really good at explaining it. So if you don't want to commit to a book or she's not interested in just reading the book yet, then listen to the her on the podcast. It's the Sex and Psychology podcast with Justin Lee Miller. And then the next step might be to get that book. Come As You Are is just a really nice way to understand your just arousal and your desire to have sex and, and just interpret your sex drive differently with better language as opposed to low drive, high drive. Like if those are your only two options, it fucks everyone up because as soon as you identify with one, it's like, well, that's it. That's me. I'm just like one or the other. You're black or white. It's like, no, that's, that's not the case. It's not how your sex drive works. So get a better understanding of sex drive. Get a better understanding of her language. If she's open to figuring out what her language is, then that might be the direction for you to go in. Okay, cool. Somebody asked about a long-term partner and they have sex once a week. Is that normal? This person says they have no motivation to do it. Um, sex one once a week, I believe, according to research, is the amount of like sex that very successful couples have. Um, I believe in a it's a multi-amory podcast, and I believe it's called 
go on a date with your partner or have more dates or why you need to go on dates. It's something along those lines. It's a really good podcast. I will find it. I'm just going to make a note of those two podcasts. So um, Emily, whatever her fucking last name is on um, sex and psychology and this one, multi-amory, I will find it, but they talk about like how frequent people should be, ha- frequently people should be having sex. And literally, I guess, according to all of the research, it's like once a week is like how often sex, like successful relationships have sex. Um, so man, you're doing pretty well. <laughs> I know people who have sex less. I know people who have sex more. I think the thing is, is like the whole thing with like, I have no motivation to do it. Um, I, I think this carries on from what I just said about the low sex drive thing. Understand what turns you on when you get turned on ways that you can control that. If there's ways that you can, um, if we're going to talk about sex drive, then increase it and ways that you decrease it. So for me, when I'm time poor, when I'm stressed, when I'm tired, when I'm like, when I've just had my period, I'm usually less motivated to have sex. But when I'm like feeling really good with training and feeling really good with my body because I'm eating well, right right around when I ovulate and right before my period, like I know those are things that typically mean I'm, I'm going to uh, have a higher sex drive. Then on top of that, I also love to buy new lingerie and like play with that and dress up. I, I love to, um, even talking to other people online and flirting with other people is a really nice way to get your sex drive to increase. Um, and then also like dirty talk with your partner, like fantasizing about things and saying it out loud to each other. Um, and then, like I said, listening or reading erotic stories. Um, like Dipsy is really good. So get that app. There are free three free ones that you can listen to on it and just start listening to them and see how you respond to it and see what happens. So rather than feeling like, oh, this is just the way I am, actually, actually try and like, I, I guess essentially try to prove yourself wrong. So when you say I'm this, see if you can go about finding ways that you're not actually like that. Um, so for example, like I'm not motivated, maybe you just, maybe, maybe you're not, but maybe it's just because you're really fucking stressed out or you've just had your period or you're just about to get your period or wherever you are in your cycle. Like it could be any of those things, or maybe your partner is not doing anything to create any desire and there's no foreplay and there's no play or flirting or kissing or anything leading up to it. It's like, you know, People are not motivated to have sex if it's bad sex. Like that's one of the best things I've ever read. And that's in uh, Come As You Are as well by Emily. God damn, what's her last name? Okay, let me Google it. I'm going to have a producer one day. It's going to happen. Come as you are. Emily. Oh shit, I think I got it. Oh fuck, Nagoski. I was so close. Emily Nagoski, N-A-G-O-S-K-I. I wish she had a really big Instagram page, but she doesn't. It's just her and like she posts photos of her cats. <laughs> I stalk every author of every book that I read and I try and follow them. She was one person I don't think I followed. I was like, oh, okay, I think I'm good. N- Emily Nagoski, come as you are. So she talks about people don't want to have sex and call it a low sex drive oftentimes because they're just having fucking bad sex. <laughs> Thanks, Greg. <laughs> you should be my fucking producer right now if you're sitting at home listening to this podcast. MDM is listening <laughs> and he just posted the name of the author. Can you please go and find the links for those other podcasts too? <laughs> Thanks. Okay, go and listen to that podcast um, and, and just 
fucking, yeah. I, I think it's just something that we should all be curious about rather than like, oh, I think I'm just not motivated. I just don't like this. Like, I, I think in a healthy relationship, when you're healthy and you're not stressed out, you should have natural waves of desire that increase and decrease over the month. Now, if you're on hormonal birth control, that would be different. Um, but generally speaking, even if you're not, even if you are on hormonal birth control, but you're a healthy human that eats well, takes care of training, isn't maximally stressed out um, from kids, work, finances, your relationship, your house, your fucking friendship, whatever, you should have experiences where you do really desire your partner. And if you just find that week in and week out, you're just like, oh, I guess I should do this once. Okay, I actually think that's a red flag. Like I think that's a problem, and we should be trying to have fucking better sex. Like we. <laughs> We should be trying to enjoy it. We should be trying to find ways where we can either help ourselves if it's a problem with us or look at the relationship or look at the partner and, and start asking the question of like, is this is this making me happy? Is this what I want? Is this working out? Are there ways that we could do this better? Like, are there ways that we can improve? Are there ways that we could feel more desire? Like, what can we fucking try to do that? Like, let's try a new sex toy. Let's fucking go and flirt with a third person on Tinder. And even if we don't hook up with them, let's just try it just to see if there's ways that you can expand your your relationship sexually. Um, because I, I just think that we should want sex and we should want it with our partner. And it doesn't necessarily have to be every day. But if you're feeling like you don't want to do it and you just make yourself do it once a week that to me is a problem sex should be central in your relationship it should be a talking topic that comes up frequently should be a conversation that you're having it should be a fun thing to talk about a, a like cheeky delicious like kind of naughty thing that you talk about that's special because it's you two like it, it's such a such an amazing part of any relationship and it's, it's unique because unless you're in a polyamorous relationship, you're only having sex with that one fucking person. So it's really special to you too. And you should be able to have that almost inside joke, not a joke, but an inside thing that only you two know about and you guys get to share and no one else sees that. And if it's something that is just kind of brushed under the rug or you don't really talk about it or there's things going on that you're not happy with and it's just like, I'll just, I'll just tolerate it, that, that's fucked. <laughs> that's not okay like what else in your relationship would you just tolerate you're like ah you know like what's something I don't have another example oh god I'm the worst at thinking of examples like if they didn't get along with maybe a family member that you really cared about I feel like maybe that would be an example where you're like you'd probably have a conversation about that no that's a horrible example okay I'm gonna move on for that one before I just fuck my shit up <laughs> Okay, I have a question from a mum. Burned out with life, touched out as a mum. Any tips for getting back in the mood? Lots of questions on getting back in the mood. Mm, mm. Okay, um, the best way for you to get back in the mood is if you are touched out and you're having like a lot of interaction with your kids is to get time alone and time away from your partner. So something that... Uh, MDMI were just talking about was how do you keep the love alive like how do you stay in love and how do you make sure that you continue to cultivate a loving relationship and immediately my answer and he said same thing for me was get distance get time apart make sure my shit's good 
so that when I'm in this relationship, I'm in a good place. If I don't have my own space, if I don't have my own time, if I don't have my own thing going on, then I can tell you right now that I'm not going to feel good in the relationship. I'm not going to feel that desire. I'm not going to want to be around. Like it just, it's a, it's a recipe for the relationship to be strained by those external factors of I've got too much going on with work. I've got so much time with the kids and I don't have any time for myself. And then I'm expecting myself to try and be intimate with my partner on top of that. Like if there's one thing that you do to help you and your partner, it's get time away to do your own thing. Even if you're scared of that, like I think what's important is, so with MDM, I often am afraid, not afraid, but I love being around him so much that the thought of having to be like, hey, let's have a weekend apart or like, hey, let's just have a, just have a night where we, we're not with each other. I'm like, oh, but I don't want to, like, I don't want to do that. Like, can we just like hang out all the time, please? And I'm that kind of person in a relationship where I'm like, I just want to be with you all the time. I don't want to be apart. Let's not do that. Like, let's, we like hanging out with each other. Why wouldn't we? <laughs> Why wouldn't we just do it 24 seven? But I always, always, want to be with him more when I have to be away from him. And I think that's something that people experience in relationships. You know, it's like you spend a couple of years not living together. Then eventually you live together. You have the house, you have the kids, you do the wedding, whatever it is. And then like, I think it's like year five to seven is where divorce rates increase massively. And I think that's the point where you are like in each other's fucking like everything. There, there's no distance. There's no space. You don't have your own lives. You're in a relationship with someone that like you, you may not even know anymore after six years, like with all the other shit going on in your relationship. If you've hopped on that relationship, relationship escalator, now you're like at the fire end in the, in, in the deep where you're just like, Oh fuck. So I think finding ways to create distance. Um, and so a couple of interesting ways that I've heard of, which you could test, um, let's say, let's just say level one would be like, Hey, um, have a date on your own, go and have dinner on your own, have the, your partner look after your kids. If you can, um, go and have a, like a coffee, even like, I will, almost would not encourage you to do this with friends. Like as tempting as it might be to be like, I'm going to go and hang out with friends. Cause I've got time. Avoid doing that because you'll fall into the trap of creating more touch with other people by using the downtime for yourself to go and do the things that you've been meaning to do for a while with your friends. So you need to make sure that it's not like, I'm going to go and do it with a friend. Go and have a date at the beach on your own for like two hours and just get a juice and lay in the sun and go for a dip and just, just be on your own. Be totally alone. Go to a cafe, go watch a movie, just do something on your own. Go for a little drive somewhere, like fucking whatever it is. Try and have a solo date with yourself once every couple of weeks. Just book it in, schedule it in. If it's important, which it should be, you're going to put it in your calendar and you're going to schedule it in and you're going to arrange for kids to be taken care of, partner to be doing something, food to be in the house, whatever the fuck you need to do so that you can get out and get space and get time and remind yourself that you are your own person living your own fucking life. And if you don't take care of yourself, nobody else fucking will. And while you've got other people that you're responsible for, you also need to make sure that you provide for them with the best version of yourself and the best version of yourself is the person that like is, is looking after themselves right? Like it's really hard to show up for other people if you're not showing up for yourself. So I would take time away before you try and take time to be with your partner on top of being with your kids and whatever other responsibilities you have. Um, that would be my number one thing for people that are like, I'm so touched out. What the fuck? I don't know how to do this. I'm not interested in like being intimate with my partner. It's just too much. Get away from them. Um, 
the other thing that you can do, like level one is just go on a solo date. Level two would be sleep in separate rooms. Level three would be abstain from sex for like two weeks and see what happens. But abstaining from sex doesn't mean abstain from all sexual activity. It means just don't fuck, but you can kiss, you can touch, you can do all the other things, but just no fucking. That can be fun. Okay. I'm going to scroll down because I have a lot of questions and we're just going to go to the bottom. Have you ever asked yourself if you're gay? Sort of in a midlife crisis. This was my first question. (laughs) So I've never, ever considered my sexual identity ever until people started asking me on social media. No jokes. I've never questioned it because I've just, I've never thought about it in terms of like, hmm, what am I? What am I according to who or what sex I'm attracted to? Like, I've just never thought of it in that way. So I've just been interested in people. I've always been, I've always dated men, um, but I've always been curious about women. And I've always been like, I know when women are like a fucking hot, good looking people. Um, and, And like any fucking identity, it's like, there's, I, I don't think there's a, like, for me, I, I've just never felt like I fit into a, a bucket of like, oh, this is my category. This is, this is where I live. And this is my title. And this is my identity. And this is the label for me. Um, and, and I feel like, you know, you talk to a lot of people that are similar. And then there are other people who really strongly identify with particular orientations. Um, but I think in terms of like, have you ever potentially questioned changing things or trying something that's different or doing something you've never done before. Fuck yes. Absolutely. Like I always wanted to have a threesome or or hook up with a girl. Like I've always wanted to do that just as like a, I don't want to get to my deathbed and be like, oh yeah, I never did that thing. (laughs) Like, I don't know what it was. I was just always like, I feel like everyone should do that. Everyone should fuck someone of the gender. They aren't just like maybe uh, organically attracted to, oh, that's not the right word, but like the gender that they're not, they're not stereotypically immediately like, oh yeah, I, like I typically am attracted to men, but it's like, I would, I would be so bummed if I didn't explore that and I didn't like test that. I don't know. That's just me. So being in a midlife crisis and be like, ah, oh, I don't know if I'm straight or gay, like man, drop the labels and just like test test the waters and experiment and see and like you won't know again unless you fucking like talk to girls and go on a date and like whatever like just fucking man who gives a fuck anyway who gives a flying fuck like fuck who you want talk to who you want go on dates with who you want it is this one goddamn life that you get you'll only be young as well once like I think dating people and doing some of this stuff probably gets a little harder as you get older and like imagine missing out on an opportunity or missing out on a chance like ah yeah I just feeling like you have to figure out what your label or your identity is or like oh if you're straight or gay like maybe you're thinking ahead of like would I have to come out to people would I have to announce it would people have to know what I have to do, like and like make sure that the world knows like I'm gay it's like no man like stop thinking in terms of that think of it in terms of what experiences do you want and what do you want to get out of your life and and who are the people that you want to connect with and and do you want to explore that stuff and and maybe if you're intrigued then you start and, and then you test the waters and reassess and like it, it's like man just do the things that excite you and interest you and scare you and if you're thinking like maybe maybe I'm attracted to this sex like then fucking go for it man just 
go for it. Enjoy it. Like there's so much to explore and learn and experience that to cut yourself off because you, you, you say you're straight. It's like, you, you're just limiting yourself. You just put yourself in a box, which means you can't do certain things based on some fucking invisible rules. Like, what a shame. What a shame to abide by these rules created by some external fucking force. Society making you feel like you can only do this, like you can only wear a one piece because you don't have a fit enough body. You can only sleep with men because you're considered straight. You can only do fucking, you know, whatever the bullshit rules are. Like, we make up everything. Human make up all the rules. And you can break every single one of them. You can do whatever the fuck you want. Like you can do what you want. You can think what you want. You can try whatever you want to try. And to be like, ah, I don't know if I'm this. Like, man, just do it and figure it out afterwards. You know, like just try it and see what happens. Okay. Um, All right. So somebody asked me about doing a boudoir shoot and I don't feel confident enough, but I feel like it would help my confidence. Yes, it would help your confidence because when you do something you're scared of doing and you're like, I fucking did it anyway, you realize that you will never feel confident before doing something. And that when you feel afraid of doing something and you do it, you suddenly gain confidence from doing the thing that scared the shit out of you. So do the boudoir shoot fucking hook up with the girl, fucking do the threesome, wear the bait, like wear the bikini, take the photos, do all of the things, you know, like you will never feel like doing it. You'll never feel ready. You will never be a hundred percent. And if you're waiting to feel confident to do something, you're going to live a life feeling unconfident in every single area because you will never gain confidence because you must, you absolutely must take risk to get confidence. You will not get confidence before you take risks. It is always the other way around. Okay. And that's apply that applies for everything. You will never feel ready. You will never be able to have motivation to just do something. You must take the step. You must take action. You must do things that scare you in order to get the reward. Okay. And and it's it's that way for a reason. We don't just get confidence for it like for no reason. Like you have to do something and overcome that fear in order to be like, you know what? I did it and I was okay. If it weren't scary, you wouldn't gain confidence from it. It has to be scary and you have to fucking do it because that's the only path to confidence. The only reason I have confidence is because I've done shit that scares me. I've been on stage in front of people. I've performed in front of people. I've stood in front of people and delivered lectures. I've been on Instagram and I've talked about sex. I've talked about my period. I've talked about binge eating. I've talked about fucking everything and it's terrifying and I feel so vulnerable, but I've gained confidence because I'm like, well, I'm still alive. (laughs) I didn't die. Like I'm okay. I'm still here. In fact, I'm doing pretty well. Like, (laughs) so you have to do the thing that scares you. And if you're like worried and you're not sure if you're confident enough, you don't know if it's going to work out, do it anyway. Just do the thing. So 100% do the boudoir shoot. If you're in Melbourne, Ebony, who did my boudoir shoot, MDM and my boudoir shoot, um, she's in Frankston. She is so good. Like I searched like all of social media (laughs) to find a boudoir photographer that would actually create good photos because there's so many that are like glamour shots um and hers are like dark and shadowy and like sexy and 
mysterious and they're hot and like they're raunchy and they're just amazing and it's because she has this studio which has this incredible lighting she also is like I don't do touch-ups I don't get rid of cellulite I don't get rid of pimple well actually she said if they're like if it's a thing that's on the day like a scratch or a pimple she'll touch it up but (laughs) otherwise she's like I want to see your body exactly how it is because it's fucking sexy. It's incredible. It's beautiful. And I want to highlight that rather than fit you in to that box that's been deemed beautiful by society. And she, it's awesome. Like, I love that approach. I love that. I love that perspective. So she's a badass. If you're in Melbourne, I would 100% hit her up. She's E.R. Boudoir on Instagram. So uh, Ebony, she's awesome. Okay, I'm just going to keep rolling on this. We'll get to periods in a second. Um, <clears throat> hmm. So many, so many to choose from. Actually, you know what? This might be the time that we transition that we fucking, yeah, move on. Yeah, okay, all right, cool, 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 cool. I did have a couple of questions on masturbating. I'm always pro-masturbating. Some people are like, oh, if I don't have, like, if I don't have a partner, should I masturbate? I'm like, fuck, yes, yes, absolutely. If you do have a partner, you should masturbate. Um, yeah, okay, this is actually a really long one. Okay, you know what? I haven't even read this. This is my first time reading through this, but it is a five-part question. <laughs> I'm so impressed. This is a five-part question. Those little question boxes, the problem with it on Instagram is that you get like a, I don't know, like a 20-word limit. And so people are like, I can't even fucking ask the question that I want. If that ever happens, just DM it to me. But um, this question, okay, we're going to go into it. Part one, being in a long-term relationship for three years and have been living with my partner for two. I don't masturbate as much as I used to and would like to do it more often. I prefer masturbating when my partner is away on business for a few days. I barely ever masturbate otherwise. I feel really comfortable touching myself when we have sex, but lack the drive to do it on my own. Any tips on how to get back into it on my own? My goal is to masturbate more frequently. This is the best goal ever. (laughs) This is so amazing. Okay, so you like to masturbate when your partner is away. Now that you're living together, you masturbate less and you're trying to find time to masturbate. Okay, so I guess like the question for me, it's like you seem comfortable when you're with your partner, but you don't do it on your own. Okay, so I'm gonna, I think I've said a lot of stuff around like how to get yourself in the mood. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna continue to talk those about those things because I've said so many of them. But Having more sex makes you want more sex. Masturbating more makes you want to masturbate more. So as much as you're like, ah, I'm just like, I don't really want to do it anymore. It's because you don't do it. You don't do the thing and therefore you don't want the thing. It's the same thing with fucking like eating food. What you crave is what you eat a lot of. So with masturbating, rather than going, I'm just going to like wait till I'm in the mood for it, for it, but you never do it and you haven't done it in ages. So you're never in the mood for it. You need to plan to just force yourself to do it. And like, you know, force, like (laughs) it makes it sound so bad, but it's masturbating. So it's not bad. You need to make yourself do it regularly 
until I guess the the momentum takes hold, the habit, the momentum, until you get on a roll with it. Because you will want to do it more when you start doing it more. It's this like natural response to things that we enjoy doing. Um, and and you, can, you can take advantage of that and kind of manipulate that. So the more that you do it, the more that you want to do it. So that would be honestly the one thing that I would say to you. It's super simple. It's easy to act on. Do it fucking every other day. And find times where you can do it on your own. Take your computer or take your phone and have Dipsy, which is the audible um, uh, erotic like stories. Fuck, I should be sponsored by them. God damn. Take your laptop, go and put some porn on, take your phone, listen to some Dipsy and go and get yourself off and do it in like the middle of the afternoon. Do it like wh- like whenever you can. I don't know if you work in an office, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> if you work from home, do it whenever during the day. If you don't, you're just going to have to find little like 30 minutes, lots of time where you can be like, hey, I'm locking the bedroom door. No one comes in. And just even like announcing it could be kind of fun. Like I think it's really hot if you know your partner's getting themselves off. <laughs> so I would allot some time, even schedule it in, make sure you're not going to get disturbed and then do it frequently. Just make it a habit by forcing it to begin with and then it will slowly take care of itself. Um, so that's something that I would encourage you to do. Okay. So we're going to move on to periods. Um, and the first one is a really nice question. So it says, how would you suggest making female clients comfortable talking about menstruation? So it's actually not about getting them to talk. It's about you talking and setting the example and modeling how you have conversations about this topic and then responding by sharing more because they see you talking about it with comfort, with ease, with confidence, just understanding it and feeling, making it a casual conversation. So a really nice way to do this is rather than saying, oh, you might be on your period. What day of your period are you on? Or do you experience this? Or how does it affect you? Or blah, blah, blah. What are the questions are specifically about that person? Speak very generally. And so what it might be is you might say, hey, um, oh, that's interesting that your back is hurting. You know, I have definitely spoken to a lot of my female clients and they'll often find that around ovulation, they can sometimes have a bit of back pain or like right before their period, they'll start to have a little bit of back pain. And so you're just introducing the topic as a general thing. It's not specifically about them. They don't have to respond. They don't need to do anything or or give you information about their period. You're just bringing it up and introducing the subject. And then you might have something else like um, if you have a partner, that's a really nice way to take advantage of like, oh, my partner and I talk about her period and it's a conversation that we have regularly. And so this is what I know about it. So it might be like, oh, um, my partner wasn't feeling very good on the weekend. On Sunday, she was like day 28 of her cycle. So she just had like a bit of cramping and just like was pretty tired. So we just chilled out on the weekend. So bringing it up as like just a regular part of conversation is a really, really nice way to do it where it's not about them and it's not something that you have to be like, I know about periods and we should talk about it and this is important. It's just about introducing the subject just like any other fucking subject, like what you ate for dinner or like your plans in the weekend or like whatever it is that you talk about. So that can help. Okay, moving on. I had a question that was um, about low progesterone. So let me find that bad boy. 
Oh, I also have another question about, about being the other woman. I'm going to get to that. Okay. Do you know much about low progesterone levels and can it be helped slash fixed with nutrition? Um, if you are sus- like suspecting that your progesterone is low, I would go and get a uh, like blood test. Um, and you may need to reach out to a naturopath to like essentially get prescribed the specific things to test with your blood work. A lot of GPs will test like some basic stuff and it will miss important things that um, will correlate with what's going on with your hormones. So not only one, does your GP typically look at just what the like average range is and if you're within it, they're like, oh, you're fine. Even if you're at the bottom of that range, they're like, oh, you're fine, you're within range. So they won't pursue finding out how to optimize you. Um, But they also typically won't check everything. So you can miss things really easily. So I recommend going and getting blood work um, through a naturopath who can hopefully, and this is what happened to me, I saw a naturopath, she basically wrote out a list of things to get tested. I took that to my doctor. She was fortunately very open to me just being like hey like I've have it I'm having issues with my period I spoke to a naturopath can I get these things tested gave her the list and she just ran all the tests which was really really good my new GP in Melbourne didn't do that but I also didn't push her to because I wasn't seeing a naturopath at the time and I didn't have issues with my period so I was like oh it's okay like I'm just kind of following through and making sure that nothing like major has happened so I would go and get tested and then in terms of low progesterone um what you can do is address eating foods and doing things to increase progesterone and then also potentially addressing like you may actually have excess estrogen. Sometimes you can have a little bit of both. um, So that could be the case. If you have low progesterone, a really good indicator is that you're not ovulating or you're missing your period or you're getting your period late. Um, So with your period, so that everybody is clear on this and we're speaking about the same thing. I'm sorry, my throat is so dry tonight. Um. With your period, the actual bleed is not the main event. I know it's confusing because it's called a period and we talk about the bleeding, but being the period, not the most important part of your period (laughs) at all. Like your period is really like just this irrelevant piece of the whole cycle that just kind of resets you. The important part of your period is ovulating, whether or not you release an egg, okay? So when you do not ovulate, you do not produce progesterone. So if you are anovulatory, meaning you do not ovulate, you're not going to produce as much progesterone. And if you ovulate late, again, you will not produce as much estrogen um, because it's the little follicle that releases the egg that turns into the corpus leptum. Oh, fuck, I've said that wrong. And that is what produces your progesterone. So what you need to identify is, hey, are you ovulating? And the ways that you can do that is you can measure your basal body temperature, which is why I use um, the temp drop. It's fucking so good. So you can use just like an ovulation thermometer. They're like $15 or something from the chemist. Um, they just need to have to, like to two decimal points because you need to monitor a really small change in, it, in your temperature. For me, I sit below 36 degrees every morning based on my temperature. And when I've ovulated, it moves to above 36. Okay. So that's a very small shift, um, but that's how I know that I've ovulated. Um, you can also monitor cervical fluid. So your cervical fluid or cervical mucus, it's the same thing. That name is interchangeable. It will go egg white when you ovulate okay and the egg white cervical mucus is just like you do like an undies check when you go to the bathroom check your undies check the toilet paper when you wipe and you'll notice that there are some days during the month where the fluid is really egg white it happens twice during the month it will happen right before you ovulate and right before your period as well Um, so if you've got that going on you typically know that you're ovulating 
<clears throat> and then finally, cervix position is another one. So cervix position is like a literally a physical like finger check where you check to see if you can feel your cervix. And your cervix kind of feels like your nose, like it's soft and pointy, um, and it will move down and drop up and uh, drop down and kind of get a bit more solid. And you'll feel that when you ovulate. Um, and then it raises back up and then right before your period, it drops down again. Um, so like you, the feeling of your vagina will change. So like if you're with a partner, they might notice that like when you're having sex right before your period, they might, you might feel like more, uh, I guess, compressed around their cock because you, you're just like, everything's moved down, um, which is fun. Uh, okay. So in terms of like helping increase your progesterone levels. So one super useful tool, and I'm going to go straight to supplements and then I'll talk back to the big ticket items. Uh, Vitex is really, really useful in terms of helping you produce more progesterone. Um, so Vitex can be taken, I think I was taking 25 milligrams dry uh, or even 50, I believe I might've been taking two capsules a day for like a month. Um, it's also in ATP's Venus Etox. Um, Venus Etox is like the perfect thing for like looking at produce producing more progesterone because it has like all the things that you want. Um, but you could also buy all the ingredients separately and get them in higher, um, higher concentration, I guess. So if you were to buy Vitex, you can buy that separately and have about 25 to 50 milligrams. And then also having something like, uh, broccoli sprouts or maca powder, or just like dim, if you supplement with dim, um, that can certainly help. It helps support estrogen, uh, uh, estrogen detoxification. So adding in like, so all of those are vegetables that like maca root and broccoli sprouts, including things like kale and broccoli, broccolini, cauliflower, cabbage, those are all cruciferous vegetables. Um, and they're really, really useful for, like I said, it supports your liver, which detoxifies excess hormones. So it will detoxify if you've got way too much estrogen in your system. So having those vegetables daily or supplementing with something like DIM. Dim is also in uh, Venus Etox. I believe Dim is in there or broccoli sprout powder. And I think it's actually broccoli sprout powder and maca root is in Venus Etox. Um, so you can get that. You can buy it separately or you can buy it again just in Venus Etox. Um, and then the other thing is like the big ticket items is stress. If you're stressed out, that is the first thing that will fuck up your period and fuck up ovulation. Stress has like a phenomenal effect on your hormones. So if you're feeling stressed, whether it's like emotional stress or financial stress or your family or your work or you're really fucking busy or COVID stress, like people's periods started fucking up right at the beginning of COVID because people were just stressed out. Like it, it was just, it's just a stressful time and stress fucks up your period. Um, so that's one of those things to address. Like if you're a stressed out person, you need to make sure that you've got ways to unwind, to decompress, to have time out, to do whatever you need to do to manage your stress. I'm not saying that people are going to magically have a non-stress non life. You just need to know what tools effectively work to help you like essentially counter the stress. The stress is always going to be there. It's part of it. We're pretty durable human beings. We do do well with stress, but when we become chronically stressed and it's, it's like a crazy amount that we just simply cannot tolerate for a very long time, um, then that's when we find ourselves in trouble. Things that can add to that stress is under eating and overtraining. Okay. So those things typically in isolation won't necessarily do anything bad. Under eating will, like if you have a perfectly non-stress life and everything's great, but you under eat, it will fuck up your period. But you 
like overtraining or training to the point where you lose your period is actually quite hard. It's always in conjunction with undereating and other stress in your life. So think of undereating and overtraining as stress as well. Um, so that will be a way that you will lose your period because your body will stop ovulating. If you're in a massive calorie deficit, you're like your energy deficiency is crazy because you're training a lot as well like that stuff is just bad news um so you'll often stop ovulating because of that your body's like yeah we're not going to fucking reproduce right now so to just shut everything down um so address stress and then funnily enough training and eating separately are also really important in terms of just like maintaining healthy hormones um so making sure that your body is taken care of so doing some conditioning so stuff to take care of your heart so crossfit's great because it does all of it you do conditioning um and then you also do weightlifting so those two things weightlifting if you have got issues with like not having a period and you know that you do a lot of high intensity training sometimes backing off the high intensity and doing more weightlifting can be beneficial it's just it's just less stressful on the body um and then making sure that you're eating enough food and you're eating the right quality of, of food and, and not to say that you can't eat anything that's bad quality just to say that you need to make sure that you're eating adequate nutrients like and you're getting in a shit ton of like good stuff for your body vitamins and minerals that your body needs that's essential for its metabolism and for it to fucking function uh, and then I would add sleep on top of that and sleep can be part of the stress thing like you should be countering a lot of stress with more sleep um, and making sure that you are able to just fucking recover and give your body a break so yeah lifestyle diet and then supplementation can help with progesterone for sure. So you said, can it be helped or fixed with nutrition? Absolutely. Um, so that's the first question. Um, okay. So somebody asked, how do you handle period fatigue during competition? I don't experience a lot of period fatigue during competition. Um, in fact, talking about stress and periods, one thing that I have noticed um, two of my more recent big competitions two maybe yeah maybe one um is it tends to actually make my period go a little funny because i'm i'm usually quite stressed out in that in that phase um so i i usually actually miss a period around competition time so i missed my period at the games in 2019 i was due for it that weekend and i didn't get it for a month so i had and i just didn't ovulate i didn't get my period um and what that actually typically signals is that the past one to three months have been stressful. So if you've missed a period today, it's actually about reflecting on the past three months to see what's happened. Is there, has there been a particular event? Have I broken up with my partner? Am I getting a divorce? Did I lose my job? Did something happen? Am I feeling more stressed than normal? That can actually be the indicator of what happened and what caused your period to months down the track to disappear. So building up to the games, um, training way more, um, just probably eating a little bit less because I tend to try and get a little bit leaner before I compete um, and then just stress because it's like it's it's nerve-wracking and you get anxious and there's a lot of pressure going on so just kind of like emotional stress to a degree um, so I skipped my period um, and I it was because I hadn't ovulated two weeks before it wasn't like I got to the games and suddenly was stressed and mixed, missed my period it was like there's a build-up to that so that's something else to, to focus on um, so in terms of during competition a lot of the times I actually don't get my period it doesn't mean that I don't experience like hormonal fluctuations but I am pretty aware of what to expect um, I know that I'll often feel a little bit hungrier I know that I need to focus on sleep and I often will have a little bit more of a hard time getting to sleep so things like melatonin can be useful for helping me with sleep at that point I also increase my magnesium and zinc um, if it's a competition where I know I'm going to get blood tested I actually don't have a lot of supplements because I don't take anything that's not third party party tested so um, 
during uh, Torium Pro, I was only using a magnesium from Thorn Research. That's a particular type of magnesium that is third-party tested. Not all of their magnesiums are, just one of them is. So I was taking more magnesium um, and then also making sure that I was hydrated by taking like some um, sodium and potassium little like effervescent tablets, Voost. They're like, a, they're like tablets like Barocca tablets, you know, like that kind of thing to help me stay um, hydrated. But in terms of like, how do I handle it? Um, it it's, a, it's a thing that you have to focus on in training throughout the years that you're building up to competing um, because it's another thing that will just simply challenge you mentally. And if you can overcome it mentally, you'll actually perform fine. So I've never had a period stop me from performing at my best because in training, I know that there are things that I can't control, that there are days that are bad, that there's stuff that goes wrong, that whatever can happen can happen. And so in training, I prepare myself to deal with that mentally and how do I overcome that barrier and what work do I need to do and what's the self-talk and what are the affirmations and and what do I need to understand my, about myself as a competitive athlete and and all those things that happen in training help me in competition to not feel like oh, I'm, I'm tired and I'm worried and now I'm I'm getting paranoid that my period's going to be the thing that holds me back like you'll often notice that I'm like I feel really good day one of my period because I do like I, I've I've seen the way I feel I've seen the way I, <clears throat> I perform I've PB'd multiple times on the first day of my period so the language about my period is actually very positive positive. and then even the week before my period it's like I know that I can show up to the gym feel like crap and still perform well I talk about it in this way because I'm setting myself up for on those bad days to be like hey like you got this and oftentimes I will feel bad but once I start moving I feel better um, so I if I have, if I do experience fatigue, I use mindset to get past that and make sure that I don't hold myself back mentally because I'm like worried about my period. I think that's one of the things that I don't like a lot about all the stuff coming out about how to train around your period. Like one, it's based on research that's fucking not, not sufficient. It's research that's not done on fucking you and it just doesn't apply to everybody. Um, and uh, like I just yeah there's stuff that, about that that aggravates me because like being an athlete like like I've done you can train through it I can tell you right now every single CrossFit Games athlete trains through it and they're, and they're good I will say this though with your period if you're experiencing a lot of fatigue if you're experiencing bad cramps if it's really fucking with you like if you just get thrown the week before your period the greater the degree of, ex of symptoms that you experience, the greater the degree of dis-ease that you have probably going on kind of under the hood, like the underlying dis-ease that you may be experiencing is due to some issue. So <clears throat> if you're having a lot of problems with your period and you're worried about that affecting your performance, it's not about how do you deal with that problem affecting your performance. It's what do you need to address about your period and your hormone health and your general health so that you don't experience a shit ton of fatigue with your period because you shouldn't be like tired and, and lethargic around your period to the point where you can't perform. You, you can experience some like ups and downs before your period, but if, you're, if, if it's anything that you can't get through a training session with, then that's a problem. Like that's something that you actually need to address with regards to what, what's going on with your period. So yeah, that's kind of what I'd say. Understand your cycle. Know that stress can have an impact. Know how to deal with it mentally. 
And then if it's severe symptoms that you're experiencing, address your period. Don't address like how to just deal with it. Actually go and figure out like, can you improve these symptoms? Okay. Does sex reduce power? <laughs> so I get a lot of questions around people who are like, I think they just get a little bit like, suspicious about sex and performing and like uh competing and doing well and like a lot of men who won't have sex before uh, like game day or before a competition because it's like they're paranoid about it um the only way that i believe sex will inhibit performance is if you are up late at night and if you're exerting a lot of energy and if you're in positions or like using your body in ways that are going to potentially physically impact you your ability to perform the next day that would be the only way i would imagine that it could actually negatively impact you um i've never experienced that and i've had sex like the morning of competition and it's fine like it's not a big deal um i will be mindful physically like if i'm like oh like i i don't want to jack myself up right before I have to like max out my snatch or something like that. Um, but in terms of like, will it, will it reduce power? Will I leak energy? I personally do not believe that to be the case. In fact, it can often give you an endorphin hit. It can often give you like that dopamine that you need to actually feel really good for the day um, and help you actually relax and, and mentally just be like, hey, I'm ready for the day now or I'm ready to compete or whatever it is. Um, and it could actually be a um, performance enhancer. I think that there's just a myth that sex can reduce power, reduce performance. I think it's bullshit. Um, so the only way to establish whether that's true or not is to actually test it and to identify, hey, is there any impact if I have sex before I train or around performing for whatever event that you've got? Um, and that compared to not having sex, is there even a difference? Like there, there probably isn't even a difference. It's one of those things where it's like the bigger thing that would have an impact is how much sleep you get. So if you stay up for fucking like four or five hours the night prior, like hooking up with someone, <laughs> and you only get like five hours sleep, that's going to be a problem, obviously. But having sex like the night before or the morning of, after having had eight hours sleep and eating enough food and feeling like, like really well recovered, then I don't really see that having an impact. <clears throat> so yeah, I think the, the whole fear around like sex and performance is like, I, I think it's uh, just a myth. Yeah, yeah, I just think it's a myth. Um, okay. Let's find a, another period question. I actually, I, I get so many sex questions now. <laughs> so many sex questions. Um, sex on my period is too slick. Is that even a thing? I don't know. Slick? Like slippery? Is it really slippery? <laughs> um, I guess it's a thing because you've experienced it, right? Like it's a thing for you. It doesn't matter if it's not a thing for other people. It's the thing that you've experienced. Like it's super slick. <laughs> Um, do you notice it or does it, is it your partner that notices it? Like try, I don't know, try some different things. Like, um, I don't, I don't know if I have a whole lot of recommendations, but maybe I was going to say like shower before sex or like go to the toilet before sex or like, <laughs> like, uh, I don't know, like I wear a cup. So I take my cup out and it's like, there's kind of not a lot, there's not a lot left to come out once I've done that, but I'm a pretty light bleeder. So it's like, yeah, I don't know. I personally haven't experienced the slickness. Um, maybe you should ask MDM though. He might have a different opinion. <laughs> okay, I uh, I don't know if I've got any more questions about periods. 
Oh, okay. My IUD cancels my period, but does that mess with things training related? Uh, it depends on the IUD you have. If it's a hormone, like if it's the Marina, um, that certainly can. If it's the copper IUD, uh, that may or may not. What can often happen is on the IUD, you can still ovulate, which means that you still have the benefits of ovulation. However, typically speaking, hormonal birth control will, one, mess with your estrogen and progesterone, and two, it can often um, fuck up with your testosterone levels as well. So you kind of across the board just fucks everything, um, which is great because you don't ovulate and you can't get pregnant. But in terms of performance, you could have a lot of performance gains from not being on hormonal birth control and being on a different form of birth control. So um, there are definitely considerations. Um, and there's some stuff that you can find, like it is harder to find, but um, Dr. Stacy Sims is pretty good with regards to like putting out information about like having your period and, and not being on hormonal birth control is advantageous for, for training. Um, but I think the thing is, is it's like, you got to weigh up the the pros and cons and figure out what's what what works for you. And I'm I'm I personally don't like using hormonal birth control, but I've also spent years tracking my period to a point where I'm super confident with the symptothermal method, and I and I know when I'm fertile and not fertile, and I have a partner that I communicate really well with that on that topic. So it's like I'm in a position that's different to your position, and you know I, I spend a lot of the time figuring my period out when I was single and I wasn't just like randomly hooking up with people, um, but you know, you can go through that process with a partner. You're just going to have to introduce other forms of birth control, things like condoms um, and being prepared to, if you're at risk, like being okay with taking the morning after pill, um, which just by the way, only works if you haven't ovulated yet. So if you've already ovulated, it won't work. Um, so just like kind of learning about that stuff. So um, there is a book called uh, the woman's the woman's book yeah it's called the woman's book it's by Lyle McDonald I'm just looking at the PDF on my computer as we speak um, that's a really good spot to start it's a really thick book um, so yeah but honestly on Instagram just search like periods or menstrual health or hormones or like some of those like terms and you will find so many things and so much information oh I'm, I'm saying so much you'll be able to find stuff that's useful, which will lead you to other things that are useful. Another one is um, uh, No Period, Now What is a really good page to follow. She talks a lot about training with your period. So there's just like pages like that that you can follow. I think her name is Nicole Rinaldi. Um, so yeah, there's a few people. If you go into my profile in my period highlights, I've put through all the pages to follow. That is where I get a lot of my information. So you guys can go and follow those same people. Um, someone actually did ask me, um, Please talk about your birth control method. Okay, I'm going to finish on this. So birth control, I was on the pill from about 15 to, to 21. And then I got off the pill mostly because I was traveling and didn't have access to getting another prescription for my doctor at the time in New Zealand. I was in the US and was like, I'm not, I'm not having sex. Like, I don't, I don't feel worried about it. And like the few times that I did, it was like, I just use condoms and, you know, condoms are reliable majority of the time. So I just kind of got off the pill. And then what happened was it took six months for my period to come back. And so I immediately was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> that's not meant to happen. That's not okay. I didn't realize it would do that. 
Um, and even things like my body had changed a lot. So when I was on the pill, my boobs were like huge and I was really skinny and it was like, it was weird. Uh, and then I got off the pill. I didn't get my period for six months when it finally did come back. It was really inconsistent. So I had another six months of like it being weird. And then 12 months after getting off the pill, it was pretty much normal. So it took a year from getting off the pill. I was only on it for six years. I was on the, um, combination pill, which is typically a higher dose of hormone hormones. It has a uh, synthetic progesterone as well as synthetic estrogen. The mini pill is slightly different. So a slightly lower dose of hormones. So it can impact people differently. Um, but just from those ages, it's like, it's kind of a scary time because your period also has to quote unquote mature. And this is a terminology that I've learned from, I want to say it's like Dr. Jolene Bryden or someone who's fucking smarter than me. Okay. That this is like, they are an expert in this area, but your period has to mature. And so when you jump on the pill at like 14 or 15, when your skin starts to break out, when your period and hormones are doing all that stuff that causes all these changes, we suddenly go on the pill and, and basically disable the body from going through that process. Um, and so we kind of wind up, you know, in our 20s or 30s getting off the pill, either because someone wants to have kids or whatever's happening in their life. Most of the time, yeah, because they're like, okay, I want to have kids now. They get off the pill and it's like your body's like having to go through all that maturing process or, or figuring out its cycle, not only because it's been on the pill for so long. So it's communication between your brain and your ovaries have been fucking shut off. It's got to figure that out. Plus it's also got to like know how to make, how it makes itself work well. So I got off the pill at 21 and then at 28, I had awful adult acne. I'd never had acne before in my life. And it was like cystic breakouts all over my jawline down like a part of my neck. Like it was like, and this area uh, in your side of your, like lower part of your cheek and your jawline is known as hormonal. Like that is the spot. If you've got hormonal shit and you're breaking out on your jaw, it's like this shit going on with your hormones. So when that started happening, I was like, okay, something, something's, something's wrong. Um, and I actually believe that a contributing factor was that I'd gotten off the pill and it had taken like eight years for my, my cycle to actually mature and get to that point where it kind of had sorted itself out, which was something that, um, the specialist that was looking at my skin was telling me they're like it, it can be five years it can be eight years like it can be a long time for your body to kind of work through some of this stuff um and so that's sometimes why we see this happening around your late 20s um so i started tracking my period on an app it was on um clue and it was just tracking the day that I started bleeding the day that I stopped bleeding so it was like I just knew like roughly how long my period was and I knew how long the whole cycle was um and I just used that for maybe three or four years just to like know when and then I also started noticing and correlating between training and what day of my period I was on to understand what the patterns were so I always had like stuff going on with my back that would just randomly play up and it would st I started to realize that it was always day 19 of my period um, and I typically now ovulate around day 17 I think back then I was ovulating around day 19 or or somewhere in that that vicinity so that was a pattern that happened for like a year. It was like day 19, I always had a sore back and it was like, cool. I know that that's probably about where I'm ovulating. So I started realizing that like things that happened in training were symptoms of what was going on with my cycle. Uh, and then when I started having this hormonal acne and having all these issues, I was like, 
I think this is a symptom of something else going on. I think this is like essentially a signal that there is some fucked up shit happening. So I started to see a naturopath and that kind of led me down the path of starting to just observe what was going on with my period and and starting to try and track it and figure out if I was ovulating and, and read books about hormones. And that was just like, it naturally points you down the direction of like your period is super important in terms of understanding your hormones like your period the length of it the the color of your blood the intensity of your cramps like everything is telling you something about your hormones um so suddenly it became really interesting to start observing all of those different things and there's a lot of different stuff that you can measure um so i just kind of became a little bit obsessed with it i typically get obsessed with things and like go all in (laughs) so i actually initially bought Daisy, which is a thermometer. It's like, it's like a 500 or $600 thermometer. Like it's wild how much it is. Um, it's from like the made in Germany. Uh, and like they actually, it didn't actually work for me because, um, I couldn't get an accurate reading taking my basal body temperature in the morning because my body temperature was fluctuating too much. Um, so I used that for about a about a year and never got a green light. So it has a light system where if you're not fertile, it will be green. So that would be if you're trying to avoid having kids, that's when you have sex. And then it has a red light for when you're fertile. So if you're trying to get pregnant, you'd have period, you'd have sex during that phase. And then it flashes orange, I think, when it's still calculating. So for a whole year of this, I would just get flashing orange. And then I traveled with it and it broke. Um, I actually sent it back to them and they repaired it and sent it back out to me like under warranty. So I still have it. But while it was broken, I was like, okay, fuck it. I'm going to go and get an ovulation thermometer from the pharmacy. It was like $12. I was like, you're fucking joking me. And then it comes with a little paper chart. So you can actually track it on a chart. Um, and that was when I started reading, uh, taking charge of your fertility, taking charge of your fertility. Yeah. It's like an encyclopedia about tracking your period. Um, and that was how I figured out just how to do some of it. And to be honest, I've never read that book from front to back. Like I've, I've kind of opened up pages that are relevant to me. Cause there's a lot of, like, there's so many subjects covered and just, it's better to read the stuff that's specific to you than to try and read everything. Cause there's stuff that won't be relevant. Like for example, um, adenomyosis is not relevant to me. Um, uh, injury, endo is not relevant to me. Um, PCO, PCOS is not relevant to me. Like those things that it's just not stuff that I need to worry about. So I actually learned a lot of it from simply starting to try and take my temperature and chart it and see if there was a change. And then I added in cervical fluid and I charted that to see what changes there were. And I started noticing the peak day, which was when you're, you have the egg white cervical fluid um, and was like, oh, okay, this happens. And I've never noticed this. Like in terms of like discharge in your undies, I was always like, oh, it's just like, it's just, that's just what happens. But there's this pattern that happens with the texture and the fluidity of it and the color of it. And it's like, once you start noticing it, you're like, holy fuck, the, the body is amazing. So starting to track that helped me. And then eventually I dropped off the body temperatures because taking it under my tongue in the morning, it was too inconsistent. Like the time of day that I was waking up was too inconsistent. There are so many things that can cause that to fluctuate. It's a little bit like fucking weighing yourself. It's like alcohol, being sick, the time of day, how much sleep you've had. If you got up, if you're like, all these things can affect your basal body temperature, which is your temperature upon waking um, or your lowest body temperature for the like night. So what happens with temp drop is you wear it and it essentially takes your temperature, your basal body temperature at different increments through the night and figures out when you are at 
actually at your lowest. And so it will give you the most accurate reading you can get despite getting up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, despite like going to bed later, whatever it is. Um, so if you're a coach that does hours that finish late or start really early, this is useful. If you're a shift worker, um, if you've got kids like babies and you're up and down like feeding and doing all that stuff, the temp drop's super useful because you don't need to worry about having your ovulator right next to your bed, taking it, not making, like making sure you don't get up in the morning first. Like there are all these rules with taking your temperature. It's, it's painful. So the temp drop means you do not need to worry about all the rules of taking your temperature. Um, so that's helped me with regards to actually using my temperature to chart my ovulation and my fertility. But one of the biggest giveaways, and once I figured this out, was that cervical mucus was one of my best signals. And it's funnily enough flipped now. So I went through a phase where I stopped tracking my basal body temp and I just used cervical mucus and I could also assess cervix position a little bit but I didn't do the checks that often um, so I started using that and then now that I've got the temp drop I actually rely on temp drop more and have used cervical fluid less because I don't see as distinct changes in my cervical fluid anymore and I don't know what it is like I don't I don't know if it's just that I, something in my hormones have changed I don't feel worse I feel really good so it could even be that it could just be like this is what's actually good for me and what was happening before was was not optimal um it could be an age thing like it could it could just be like a changing thing with like with the phase that I'm at in my life um but my cervical fluid is way less reliable now um I don't typically get egg white anymore so I utilize basal body temperature and then on top of that, I've also used ovulation strips. So you can pee on ovulation strips and it will tell you if you're ovulating or not because it measures your luteinizing hormone, which increases right before you ovulate. And then once you do ovulate, your egg's hanging out for like 12 to 24 hours. So once that period is up, you can you either need to make sure that you're having sex during that period to get pregnant or you wait for that period to end and then you can have unprotected sex again and not get pregnant. So that is my birth control. What that means is um, I've stopped taking my BBT mostly because my temp drop battery, I need to replace it. Um, and I've stopped using ovulation strips mostly because I know I ovulate every single month on day 17. Um, and like at this point, what doesn't change is the phase during my period that I don't have unprotected sex. So from day 12 to day 20, I always make sure that like, no jizz gets inside me. <laughs> That's the rule. And uh, yeah, we adhere to that pretty, pretty tightly um, because I don't want to get pregnant and neither does MDM, at least not at the moment. Um, and I've had scares in the past where like we've been really close um, or like I did fall pregnant last year. So <laughs> uh, that was a situation that was uh, a somewhat traumatizing experience for both of us um and I've talked about it on social media before I had an abortion last year so that was a full-blown experience um and that was a fuck up on my part that wasn't a failure of the uh the birth control that I use the symptothermal method I actually we had sex on day 17 which is the day that I ovulate <laughs> there was a miscommunication and um at the moment it ended really well and it was super fun and then afterwards, it was not fun because that was when I fell pregnant. Um, but what we know is that we are both ah, super fertile. 
Um, it just took one, that one time, literally one time on day 17. Um, so if I'd, if I'd been adhering, adhering to the rules of like my fertile window was from day 12 to day 20, we wouldn't have had that happen and I wouldn't have fallen pregnant. So um, it's funny. I've been a little bit like hesitant to tell that story one, because like it's just been a really personal thing that I haven't really shared. Um, and two, because I don't want people to misinterpret that as my symptothermal method or my method of birth control not working. It's because I fucked up and broke the rules, not because the method doesn't work. So, but yeah, so that, that is my birth control. Um, I don't take anything. I don't take any pills. I don't, I don't use anything. Um, we just, we just withdraw in that, in that fertile window. Um, but withdrawal method is also like you have to be with a partner who's really good at that um, and that you know it has a good control over it and knows to like pull out like way not way before but like well before like just just is, is under control with that stuff if you if you have close calls that can be dodgy um, so yeah there's some rules around withdrawal method um, there's some good information like fertility charting I love her I always point people to her she again is one of those accounts that if you go into my profile and you look at the period highlight you'll see all that jazz she's in there um, so go and follow her stuff she talks about withdrawal method and how to do it properly I think even like taking charge of your fertility and some of those books talk about it as well um, because as much as people are like oh that's just so risky that's so stupid what a terrible method like fucking have have fun having kids but the the reality is that people use it like people use it all the fucking time and there is a way to do it that is going to mitigate the most risk so rather than just saying no don't do that that's dumb it's like man just fucking let's educate everybody on how to do it well if you're going to do it and you're going to take that risk be aware of the risk know that you should probably be with someone that you trust <laughs> and then on top of that use methods of the withdrawal that will be more successful okay Guys, that is it. It's been an hour 45. I'm running out of my voice. Um, so I will be live at five again next Wednesday and I will have a different topic. Um, we talked a, a fairly good amount about like threesomes and sex. I just feel like that's the direction that people want to go in. And I am so willing to go there. I do enjoy talking about periods though and birth control because I really believe it is so important in terms of our health. Like your period is a monthly report card. There are three phases in your life. And, and here's the other thing about tracking your period. A lot of people are like, oh, Oh, but it's so hard it's so complex like it's really difficult I just it's like I just want something that's easier and like the obvious solution is like go on the pill or get an IUD or injections or implant whatever and then you don't have to think about it but here's the thing there are three phases in your life that are really really important to understand your period anyway so even if you do decide to go on birth control tracking your period and understanding how to interpret the signs about your hormones and what the fuck is going on is important when you go through puberty I've had parents be like, oh yeah, good luck teaching a teenage girl how to track her period I'm like if you find it too complex to teach a young person then fucking no way you're going to be able to teach it to them. Of course not. If you understand how to do it and it's something that you, like for me, it's so fucking easy. It's the most simple thing in the world. It is not hard to do. When you actually understand how to do it, it would be the easiest fucking thing to teach anybody to do. God, like it's really cool listening to Dr. Jolene Bryden because she has two sons and she's like, my sons know more about ovulation than the girls that they are fucking dating. <laughs> And I'm like, that's amazing. Like everybody should just, it should just be part of the conversation. And if it's not, no wonder they're going to have a hard time learning it. But when you go through puberty, understanding your period and knowing how to interpret it and knowing how to optimize your health based on what you were seeing with your period is super important. Having a child at some point, majority of women that I know want to have kids. 
Not everybody, but a lot of them. And a lot of them are going to get off birth control at the time they want to have kids. And it simply does not work like that. Not every time. Some women are really fortunate and get off the pill and have kids within like a couple months, um, but just simply not the case for everyone. And even with that, trying to get pregnant, you need to know when you're fertile. So that's an important piece of the puzzle. And if you need to figure out when you're fertile, when you're on the pill, you won't be able to figure that out. So you have to be off the pill to figure that out. You may have my experience and take a year to get your period back when you've been on the pill for a while. So you may have a whole year of just fucking getting your period back. So that's step one, like the first, like that's, that's not even step one. That's like the pre-step one thing <laughs> that has to happen. You have to fucking ovulate and have a period. And if your, if your pill, pill has stopped you from ovulating, then like, you just got to wait. You just got to kind of wait it out and support your body the best that you can. Um, so that's the, the, the bit before the main bit. Trying to get pregnant, you got to know when you're fertile. Like you got to know when you ovulate. You don't just have sex all month long. You can literally have sex for one day out of the month when you're actually ovulating. And that will be just as productive as having sex every single day of the month. Like <laughs> people just don't figure this out. And then the other piece of the puzzle is that after you've had kids, you need to understand what your body is doing and when you get your period back and knowing when you become fertile again, unless you want to fucking get pregnant straight away as soon as you start ovulating. Like we just need to know how to understand our bodies um, and give our body the space and time that it needs away from synthetic hormones to like have a kid, like give birth to the kid, feed the kid and help raise the kid in a healthy environment and then ensure that you don't get pregnant again. So knowing how you're pregnant, how you're period works in is also important and then third and final phase of your life that's a critical phase is fucking menopause like we're all gonna get to menopause and be like what the fuck if you don't know anything about your period it's so like I cannot explain how helpful it is knowing that all these things that happen in my day and in my life across the week across the months are associated to my period symptoms I experience ups and downs moods changes in my sex drive sex drive like we've just fucking had so many questions about sex drive it is always going to correlate with your period I can even tell you when I have better orgasms according to where I am in my period like the things that are connected to your period will blow your fucking mind and if you're not tracking it and you're not curious and you're not learning about yourself no one's gonna do it for you you're just gonna have to fight it out fucking by accident when you hit menopause and it's a shit time like when your period just stops coming and you're like oh okay I guess I'm I'm in perimenopause like oh I get really hot like uh I guess like people just get there and figure it out when it happens it's like you can set yourself up for a way better experience and perimenopause and menopause like this is not just like a small window of time this is years this is like a decade that you can experience the symptoms of perimenopause it is nuts that people go into that phase just being like okay well we'll see what happens and I'm like oh my god it could be so much better like we could be able to understand this and deal with this and not be fucking thrown around by our own goddamn body because we simply don't know why things are happening we don't know how to interpret it meaning we don't know how to help ourselves that's kind of the main thing if you do not know what is going on then you don't know how to change it I've got a CrossFit analogy for this because I fucking, <laughs> I've spent 10 years coaching CrossFit. So the reason that we measure things in CrossFit is that it allows us to optimize what we're doing. So if I know what weights I have on the bar, how often I'm training and how much protein and carbohydrates and fat I'm eating every day, 
I have specific numbers and I can adjust those numbers. So for example, I can adjust the number of calories that I'm eating or the protein, carbs and fat and see what happens to the numbers. And if the numbers increase and my times that I take to do the workouts decrease because I get faster, that means that what I'm eating is helping. I have evidence, okay, personal evidence through my own little experiment on myself. I ate a certain amount of food a certain way with certain types of food and I saw this happen with these other numbers. So you have an input and an output and when you can measure the input and measure the output, you can adjust the input to adjust the output. So it's essentially like I can control what I do in order to control my results. The results are always a delayed thing, okay? So same thing with weight loss. I'll control my food and eventually that will control my body composition. So it's like I can control numbers here to control numbers there. Now, again, it will always be delayed, okay? It's a learning process for one. It's figuring out what works for us and it's going through that whole thing. With your period, it's the same. It's like, okay, I was eating this kind of food and I was sleeping with this like this amount most of the time and I was um, socializing and drinking alcohol on these occasions. Um, and I was training really consistently, um, but then I had a breakup with my partner and I was emotionally really stressed. Then your period is shit. You have massive water retention, your boobs are really, really sore and you cramp for like a whole fucking day. Those are probably a reflection of being really stressed out and um, whatever the, like the emotional thing and whatever else I said that was negative. So then we adjust those things, adjust the food thing, maybe adjust the training thing. You work on it, countering your stress and then your period the next month is better. So that stuff will help you. Um, and, and measuring it is, is, is the way to pay attention to it, to get curious about it and to uh, understand yourself. So um, something like the app that I use is Kendara or Read Your Body is also really useful. Um, start tracking your temperature. And it doesn't matter if you don't fucking understand what you need to see, just track it because over two or three months, you'll start to notice that stuff repeats itself. And so you have a pattern. Your symptoms, so things like uh, when you get pimples, things like when you get heartburn, things like when you have um, uh, the shits, things like when you fart more, <laughs> things like when you're horny, things like when you are really tired, things like when you have a really bad workout, you're just really flat and low energy, things like when you're really impatient, like any kind of symptom that you experience, you're going to put it in your app. And what you're going to see is that there are things that repeat themselves. Okay. So this is just a method of measuring things. Um, and then with what you're doing, so with your training, with your food, with your stress, with your sleep, with your lifestyle stuff, you can adjust that accordingly. And then I would add then supplement anything with regards to like, you might supplement with particular foods or particular supplements like Vitex I spoke about. So uh, earlier this year, um, I, has, I was dealing with a lot of water retention and not even water retention. It was actually sore boobs, like really sore big boobs before my period. It happened three months in a row. So I typically use that as a bit of a test. It's like, hey, this thing happened this month and it was a negative symptom that was not great. That wasn't one that I'd usually experience and it's not something that I want to experience. It happened once. I'll see if it happens again. Okay, it's happened twice now. I'll keep paying attention to it. Okay, it's happened three times. Now I need to take action on this. Um, so what I did was I started supplementing with Venus Etox. I did that for one month and it helped. I stopped taking Venus Etox and it came back the following month. Okay, so I had one month of like, oh my God, miraculously didn't have sore big boobs. They weren't, like they were hurting during training. It was absolutely awful. So then the next month it was completely gone. The month after that, this is like now month five, I guess, or four, five. Month five came back a little bit and I was like, okay, went back onto Venus Etox, 
plus took additional Vitex. So I was taking Venus Etox two capsules a day plus one extra capsule of Vitex. Um, so I was taking about 75 milligrams, I think roughly. That might not be the like I'd have to go and double check but anyway it was one capsule of uh two capsules of venous etox and one extra of just vitex on its own um and then after uh I think it was two months of that I finished I finished the venous etox so I had another month of venous etox I finished that and then I had another month I think left of the vitex on its own so I was taking that by the time I'd gone through that I haven't had sore boobs or like really bad water retention since. So really, really helpful for that. I, I think it was due to I had high estrogen. Like that typically is the thing that connects with like water retention and um, sore boobs, especially if it's high estrogen, low progesterone. So um, yeah, that was how I solved that. It was like, okay, I observed that the pattern had repeated itself three times. And then I went into, let me test this and see if it helps. I added in the venous etox, it helped. I took it away. It came back a little bit. So then I brought the venous etox back in, went a little bit harder with additional Vitex, and then it seemed to resolve itself. Um, in terms of my lifestyle, like there were no real drastic changes. That was the confusing thing about it. I hadn't done anything different, like my training, my things, my stress, my whatever. If anything, I'd been in quite a low stress phase of my life because I was transitioning from um, being involved with working for someone else to working for myself and it was very quiet. Um, training was, I think we'd just come out of lockdown. So training was like I was starting to get back into it, but it wasn't crazy. Um, so there was nothing that I could point to in my lifestyle that I was like, oh, that's really different. So I immediately was like, you know what, I'm just going to keep doing what I do with training and eating well and sleeping and not being stressed. And then I'm going to add in some supplements and see if that helps. Um, so that was how I addressed that. So yeah, measuring is super important and observing your symptoms and seeing, hey, is it repeating itself? If it's repeating itself, can I fix it by doing something with my lifestyle, something with my food, something with my, with my supplements? That is the Gone Rogue episode for this Wednesday. I'll see you guys next Wednesday. And then the Wednesday after that, I may not be here because I'll be moving to Newcastle. But afterwards, MDM and I are going to be living together, meaning we're going to get him back on the podcast. It's been really hard to try and get him and I on the podcast together just because time is tight. So when we're living together, we're going to have so much time together. <laughs> We're both terrified of that, by the way, because we really <laughs> value time apart. One, because it keeps us sane and two, because it supports our relationship so nicely. <laughs> but we are going to be able to do more podcasts together. So you guys will hear MDM and I talking about our relationship, talking about sex, talking about, fuck it, I'll get MDM to talk about periods. I actually really want to get MDM on and talk about his hormones. He had a really interesting journey with CrossFit um, and like just some fucked up burnout shit, just like fucked up his adrenals, fucked up his whole body, <laughs> did a lot of CrossFit, did a lot of not sleeping and a lot of working. Um, and then, yeah, has had to like recover over the past like six or seven years. So um, I think that would actually be a really cool thing to talk about because I talk about obviously a lot of my hormone stuff and periods um, and I don't talk about men's hormones. So that, that might just be a little conversation for another day. Anyway, you guys are the best. I will talk to you soon. See you on the internet. <sighs>